all okay to do the uh, the call now? Yeah, um, it, it, you've actually, <laughs> I actually um, thought it was at one o'clock today, but uh, so I'm actually at an airport doing a, at an air show. Um, but I'm good. I can do it. I'm just sitting in an airplane. Wow. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> I've never interviewed someone while they're sitting yeah, in an airplane. In an airplane. I've never done an interview in an airplane, so this is a first. We're both doing. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> and you got to you got to forgive you got to forgive all the the airplane noises in the background. <laughs> this really looks the part, yeah, Kevin. I've got to say, <laughs> <laughs> you are looking like Indiana Jones over here, mate. Um, okay, this is cool. <laughs> so this is okay. uh, welcome back to the True Geordie podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am joined today by. A man known as the Lion Whisperer, a man who I have been tracking down for a good five years for an interview now. I finally made it happen. I've uh, been a big fan of Kevin uh, Richardson's work for a long time. So thanks for coming on, Kevin. Yeah, it's a pleisure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I guess uh, just to um, give our our audience a bit of an idea of, of who you are and what you do, you've devoted your life to animals. Um, how many animals uh, do you have and sort of what kind of facility do you have? Yeah, I run a sanctuary basically just uh, north of Pretoria. Uh, it's home to 23 uh, lions um, 11 spotted hyena, one striped hyena, and four leopards. Um, so it's basically uh, just a safe haven to give these animals a quality of life and, uh, a, a, you know, a, a dignified life until uh, the day they pass away. You know, so uh, that's the mission. Once they pass away, they won't be replaced. Um, we have a no breeding policy at the sanctuary, so there's no newcomers. And we don't operate a rescue facility, so I'm not a rescue facility. So once these um, animals pass, then that will be that, and we will morph into uh, something different, which is uh, most likely a rehabilitation center for wild animals. And the, the premise is, is that if they come to the facility, they must go. Um, so that's, that's the idea. And what made you want to set this up in the first place? Yeah, I, I got involved with lions um, around about 1998. And I went to a facility that uh, uh, offered lions for the, the public to come and view and, and to interact with and, and all of the above. And I, I saw nothing wrong with it at the time. I was a 23-year-old young man. And uh, as I started to um, you know, work there, I started to realize that there were few things that uh, not not a few actually many things that just went against the grain of somebody who liked animals you know the reason I, I went to work there was because i enjoyed animals and mm. a lot of these facilities i realized they weren't um what they say they are um and it's this whole deception um gig and and uh, you know lying to the public basically and so i kind of made it my mission to uh, rescue these animals that i was caring for um, I couldn't take all of them, um, and and so I took the, the the ones that I could get my hands on, and yeah, it wasn't an easy uh, process of, of of the whole transition. It wasn't just like a light switch that you can, you know, just switch on or off. It was a whole process to actually move away from this facility and set up my own establishment. That must have taken a lot of cash and a lot of a lot of hard work. How did you manage to pull that together? That's not easy. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think what people don't realize is, is the hard work behind trying to fulfill a vision mm -hmm. and uh, also the fact that, you know, it, I, I 
contrary to what a lot of people would have believed is that I, I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And so I had to really figure out how to make this happen. And so just with a lot of pe- perseverance, a lot of persistence, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, um, you know, dodging and diving to try and uh, make sure that I could actually wrangle these animals away and do, do what I uh, wanted to eventually do and achieve and, and then be in control of uh, uh, my own destiny as well as the animals, you know, because I think the, the thing that I always tell people is that I, I'm merely a, cust- a custodian of these animals. I don't mm-hmm. own them. You know, I might have legal guardianship of them, but they're individuals, each, each and every one of them. So um, that's merely what I do. I'm giving them a life. And, and uh, hopefully whilst doing that, um, I'm able to um, captivate an audience, uh, educate an audience, you know, and just uh, make people fall in love with wildlife so that um, our future generations can have have these animals around to enjoy too. Yeah, it seems like your approach is so different to what we have all recently been exposed to in the mainstream media of these uh, tiger documentaries, the Tiger King documentary, etc. Um, when we watch those guys with animals, they, they operate out of fear. And they've, you know, the the the, the animals clearly recognise weapons and, and other things uh, whenever they yeah. they pulled out. And whereas with you, you look like you're one of them, and that's kind of where your reputation and and um, where I discovered you was, you know, so, someone who was clearly accepted by the animals, and that is is shocking when you first see it for a normal guy. You're like, wow, this is he's just like the jungle book like come to life here you know it's uh it, it and and they love you they clearly absolutely love you these animals um so how did how did you manage to get that level of relationship with them it's true what you say i mean and it's unfortunate because uh, a lot of people would like to tar me with the same brush and uh if you work with uh, wild animals kind of everyone just lumps you into that mm. tiger king kind of category it's pretty sad um and yes, does that frustrate you, Kevin? Sorry to interrupt you, but does that hurt your feelings, given that you're so uh, different to I'm these big, guys? I'm thick-skinned, eh? so yeah. yeah in, the, in the past, I used to kind of fight it and say, like, but why can't they see the difference? And then I eventually realised that, you know, eventually um, the cream will rise to the top, you know. So you got to you got to mm-hmm. just persist and persevere with your with your ideals. And, um, and, and so I've done that. I've just been true to myself or hopefully been true to myself and, um, continued to, 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 um, you know, not deviate from, from who I am, um, and what I believe in, because there are people that believe that, you know, humans shouldn't interact with wild animals. And, um, you know, I, I, I disagree obviously because I interact with my lions and I feel that they, they have a quality of life because of it. Um, without that interaction, they would merely be um, animals in cages, which is unfortunate because, is it, uh, you know, it, from where I sit now. Is it yeah. a case of the horses bolted a little bit, like to try and say we shouldn't interfere with animals? It's like, well, unfortunately, too many fools out there have already done that. So we unfortunately need people like yourself to try and uh, keep a hold of, of these animals and look after them. Well, yeah, I mean, that is ex- exactly my mandate for, for the animals in my care. But I don't advocate that we need to, uh, everyone needs to go out and become a lion whisperer because I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hard grind. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a commitment. It takes a lot of 
money. Um, it takes a, you know, it takes a lot out of you. Um, mm. And uh, I would prefer to see these animals in the wild. As you quite correctly say, uh, we have done this to them. They didn't ask to be put in captivity. And people continually, uh, well, continue to breed these these animals for captivity. And that's the unfortunate thing. And I think until such time as uh, legislation changes and, mm-hmm. and, and it's outlawed, um, there's always going to be somebody breeding and there's always going to be somebody rescuing. You know, and, and so for me, I drew the line in the sand and said, we are not a rescue center and I don't want to be uh, a place that just takes in all these rescues from all around the world um, because then we're part of this vicious cycle and I don't want to be part of a vicious cycle. I want to be part of uh, helping uh, rehabilitate animals that can go back to the wild because uh, I think that that is conservation and that is, that is purpose um, that is purposeful. But, you know, it's not to say that the animals in my care can't have a or hold a conservation value. And I think that's, uh, that's key because a lot of people out there say, oh, well, there's no conservation value in captive animals. And I disagree because I think captive animals, if utilized correctly, can have a conservation value. And that could be just from an educational perspective um, and educating people, not as to you know, the attributes of the animal, educating people as to why this animal shouldn't be in a cage um, and then also just raising awareness and hopefully money, funding, to contribute to, to wild uh, species conservation. I mean, yeah, I, you've definitely done that, obviously, and it, it, it makes absolute sense to me. I think anyone who is going to disagree with you is just trying to <laughs> cause problems at that point because the amount of views that you've generated on YouTube and the awareness that you've raised, is it, it, you can't argue with the numbers. They're, they're there in black and yeah. white. And um, and the thing that obviously grabs everyone is is seeing you eye to eye with these animals. And I think it's a basic question, but it's it, what does it feel like to be that close to a, a killing machine? You know, it's uh, <laughs> dangerous. You know, man. It's, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's it, it's dangerous when you don't know what you're doing, and then it's like anything. You know, I'm just sitting talking to you in an aeroplane. But an aeroplane can be one of the most dangerous things you can, you know, um, enter into if you don't know what you're doing. Um, but if you do know what you're doing, an aeroplane becomes uh, relatively safe. There's always risk. Uh, I will say that. And, and nothing with nothing worthwhile in life is without risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does it feel like? Well, I've never, you know, it's hard to explain because um, how do you explain that to somebody? Um, but, you know, it, it, I never take it for granted every time I'm with these animals. And in fact, you'll, you'll know Phil who, who set up this interview for the first time in his life, he's come to the sanctuary and he's able, he was able to see me with the, with the lions. And he said to me, Kevin, it's, it's unbelievable because you watch the videos and it's, and it's awesome to see on the videos. Don't get me wrong, but to see you in real life, it's so much more visceral. It's so much more, more real. And he, he, he further went on to say that it was like he had this adrenaline rush just mm. watching me with a line because every bone in his body says, <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and then, so, but then he understands that, you know, these lines are, 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 you know, my friends in the sense that I'm part of their groups, part of their prides. And, uh, you know, so that's what, really what it's about. It's about uh, getting to know them very intimately knowing what they like and knowing what they don't like and then making sure you don't do 
what they don't like. Yeah, it's very clear that you know their you you know their moods and you have a you communicate with them. And um, have you? All right. So he said he felt an adrenaline rush. Do you have an, any element of fear left after all these years, or is it just complete calm? Yeah. So it's. it's I suppose the analogy is like asking a MotoGP or Formula One driver if they still get adrenaline. Um, on the start line, you know, when they're starting for a race. And I think that always is there. Uh-huh. I think you just get used to it uh-huh. and you bec- it becomes the norm. It's a, it's, a, it's a normal, a new normal. Mm. And I think it's the same thing, you know, when I, I don't get an adrenaline rush when I go in with the Lions because, you know, there's this, com- uh, this, uh, this comfortableness about the, the friendship you know, the relationship. So, but there are times when, you know, they do things and then you, you, you kind of go like, yeah, as if I needed reminding, but yeah, they, they lions. <laughs> yeah. They're very powerful and, and very, um, they're very, very powerful, very strong, but yet so gentle. And what, what, what always impresses me is not the strength of a, of a lion, but the gentleness of a lion. Yeah, when we see you sort of rolling around with them and cuddling them, I mean, it looks like the most fun thing in the world. But, yeah, all it takes, I guess, is one little mood change, one little nibble, and that can can snap you out of it. What what would be the um, – have you have you got a memory of the most sort of uh, frightened you've been around one of these things? Like, Yeah, look, I mean, just, just to, to um, um, pick up on what, what you just said is, is now they're not – you know, even when you do get um, an injury, uh, it's, it's normally not malicious. So they're not out there to – once they are a part of a group, they're not there to injure each other. So like mm-hmm. they would not intentionally injure each other, um, they, they don't ever intentionally injure you. So you may very well get a, a scratch or a, inadvertently be bitten because, you know, they mis, mistook what you did for uh, a threat. Or, but it's never uh, malicious and, and, and normally it's controlled. So actually in 20, 25 years almost now of, of working, I mean, there has been a few incidents, but very, uh, very few. And they have mostly been as a result of my, my, my stupidity. Like, for example, way back in the days when a lioness had, her, her, had cubs and, and she mistook me for hurting her cubs. Then, then she would, you know, she would lash out at any pride member for, for um, trying trying their luck with her cubs, you know, so you you live and learn about, and even in a situation like that, you know, she she gives you a lot of warnings. Um, so yeah, it's it is an interesting phenomenon. A lot of people just think that these predators are all or nothing. It's almost like that they think they've got this shark mentality, which even sharks don't have, you know. Um, so lions, there's a lot more going on inside the head than uh, most people would, uh, you know, like to imagine. I mean, you've you've obviously mentioned um, MotoGP and a Formula One, and there you are sat in a, an aeroplane and a guy who hangs out with lions. Naturally, we're probably all thinking, this guy's a bit of an adrenaline junkie here. <laughs> is is that true? or? Well, I think adrenaline junkies don't think they're adrenaline junkies. They think it's normal. So... <laughs> For me, I just don't understand why people don't want to do these things. Yeah. Because life is too short to exist, you know? Mm. And yes, God forbid I, I pass away untimely. 
I would I wouldn't change a thing because I've lived a good life, you know. So life is for living, and if it's cut short because of something that I've I've, I've partaken in, then so be it. I, I would rather have lived that kind of existence yeah. than, you know, just existing day to day, safe, you know, worrying about everything, mm-hmm. worrying about being safe. It's not my character. <laughs> Can you um can can we go through some of the animals you you actually look after in terms of their breeds and uh maybe maybe talk a little bit about some unexpected qualities like because we we I think the general public just have this Disney stereotype in their head. For example, hyenas are all evil because yeah. of the Lion King, you know. Um, so so you know let's start with hyenas for example i know you 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 have a good relationship with them and um, I adore them, what are they yeah. like adore. i adore hyenas and I, I adore them for the very reason that they are underdogs and that they've been painted in such a bad light by you know doc- documentaries of yesteryear uh, which have been endorsed by some really powerful organizations which is quite sad because um it's just sensationalism and uh, Disney didn't do hyenas any justice either, uh, or any, they did them a huge disservice. Hyenas are super intelligent animals once you get to know them or have spent enough time in the bush just to um, observe them. Super intelligent. And I'm talking about on a level with chimpanzees. Mm. Um, you know, in some, in some experiments that have been done on hyena, they've outperformed chimpanzees in collaborative problem-solving experiments. So you're not talking about a, a, a stupid animal here. You're talking about a highly intelligent animal. And actually, when you look at a hyena a face-to-face, they're actually extremely good-looking. And this is probably people are going to go, yeah, that's your opinion. They are extremely good-looking. They um, are wonderful. But, but, and this is the big but, is that they are very hierarchical. So they have strict hierarchies, and they, they respect those hierarchies, and they're always trying to... Uh, challenge you know they're always trying to get up um the, the you know on the in the corporate environment they're always trying to climb that corporate ladder mm. no different to humans you know mm. I, I know some nasty nasty humans who have done some really horrible things to get ahead in the world you know mm-hmm. so we look at that and we say oh well that's just business oh that's just been a tough businessman but hyenas do it in the wild and then they are, are, are thought to be horrible um, so no, they, they're intelligent. Um, they're very caring. Their mothers are, are super, super, uh, protective and nurturing and brilliant mothers. Really, really brilliant. Mm. And just a wonderful animal. And, uh, you know, all the videos I make on hyenas, a lot of the people come back The commentary generally about the hyenas is, um, Kevin, I had no idea that they were just so awesome. And so, you know, people have fallen in love with hyenas due to my, my videos and you know for those naysayers out there not one person has come back saying oh i want to get a pet hyena they're going we understand the complexities of why we shouldn't get a hyena because hyenas should be in clans they shouldn't be kept as individuals you know so and they understand that hyenas need large tracts of land large amounts of space and they need these social hierarchies to to thrive so, you know, that's just an example of hyenas and lions have also, lions have also been, you know, I think uh, stereotyped in, in so many ways because we just say, oh, it's the king of the jungle. They're ferocious. They just, you know, throw their weight around and get, and, and get what they want because they're so powerful. And it's not like that at all. I, I think lions can be very uh, much a scary cat. 
uh, and uh, scaredy cats, and, and they um, can be freaked out quite easily and subdued quite easily. And that's hence why we can see why people um, can beat them into submission. You know, you see them in circuses and you see them in the movies like The Tiger King. And yeah, these, these, these animals are not understanding where they fit in and, and they, they can be fearful. And this big, powerful animal can be beaten into submission. It, become, it can just become a cardboard cutout of what it's really meant to be. So, you know, and then just the personalities, Brian. I mean, it's just unbelievable from, what, you know, 23 lines, 23 different personalities. Like, like I'm a personality and you're a personality and everyone around us is. It's exactly the same with these lines. So for us to look at them and say that this is how the species is, 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 is very uh, oversimplified. You know, they're extremely complicated and, and take that take personalities into account, you know. You also have the cheetahs and, and uh, leopards, I believe, or is it panthers as well? Yeah, so we're rehabilitating um, eight uh, cheetah for rewilding. And we, uh-huh. we're about to, actually, we're about a month uh, to six weeks away from releasing these eight cheetah back into the wild. So we took on these eight cheetah. They, they actually called the Miracle Eight. And they were, they were rescued as cubs from the wild because five of them's mother was poached, which mm-hmm. is a huge um, problem in, 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 uh, in Africa, in the world, poaching, you know, poaching for meat, poaching for body parts, etc. And their mother was inadvertently caught in a, in a snare. And uh, when the poachers found her, they, they basically skinned her and chopped up, chopped up her body for, for, the, for the trade, for the muti trade and for the parts trade. And um, so the guide uh, found these five cubs and, and we were contacted as a, as a result. And then later on, three more cubs were found after their mother had, had uh, come together with a lion and the lion had killed her. Um, so we put these five, these five with these three and we've rehabilitated them over the last year and a half. And they're now almost two. And we're going to be releasing them into the wild, which is a huge um, you know, milestone for us and for them. It's, it's, it's just such a wonderful uh, project I've been a part of uh, and that's so that's the cheetah and then i've got yeah i've got four four leopard that are actually melanistic so they're black leopards that i look look after they in my care and uh yeah they they obviously can't be released into the wild they're old now you know two of them are uh, 20 years old so it's very old um you know they they end of end of life kind of age and the other two are about 12 so they've got about you know eight eight years or so. When we look at all of these animals, I, I think obviously from a human perspective, we look at how physically capable they all are. Is there a, a one that stands out among them where you think you know what maybe that is the surprise package athletically, like no one would realize the strength or the speed or something like that? Yeah, look, I think people underestimate leopards. Uh, we mm. all see, we all know the lion is the king of the jungle. Um, you know, he's big, he's powerful, he's strong. But um, we look at leopards and we say, oh, they're just, they, 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 you know, a quarter the size of a lion in some cases. And uh, we underestimate them. That's one of the most powerful animals I, I can, you know, I've ever come across. They are persistent. They're tenacious. Uh, when a leopard sees something and wants it, he goes for it. And any animal that can carry an impala, which weighs about 60 kilograms, up a tree in its jaws, any animal that can do that, I have huge respect for. And leopards do that. They carry animals um, as much as their own body weight, um, you know, mm. up a tree. It's insane. So, yeah, leopards, you know, always knew that they were impressive. But um, working around leopards, 
um, despite their size. You know, dynamite really does come in uh, small packages in, <laughs> in the case of leopards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about the, the fact that animals are being, these wild animals are now turning up in America and places like that. Um, what do you what do you think is causing this boom where you've now we're now looking at a situation where we might have more animals more wild animals in captivity in America than actually in the wild in the future yeah look I don't think it's a, a, all of a sudden a boom I think it's always been there mm. and I think what's just made it made people more aware is social media so mm-hmm. because we are, are, are able to communicate so much quicker these days, um, many more people are aware of what's going on all around the world. So, you know, this breeding of, of um, the, the, well, the exotic wild pet trade uh, in America has been going on for, for decades. And, um, it's a, you know, it's a case of people wanting that pet that their mate doesn't have. You know, your mate's got a burble dog and a pit bull and a this and a that. <laughs> oh, I've got a tiger. You know, I've got a tiger. Beat that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I suppose what, what, you know, what is half the problem is the fact that the authorities in the United States allow it. Um, you shouldn't be allowed to keep a big cat unless you can show that you have, um, you know, reason to, to keep it um, and that you are, you've had the, the correct training and that you know what you're doing. It's almost like letting um, a kid jumping into an airplane and go fly mm-hmm. just because just because he's had some practice on flight simulator yeah, at home on his computer. It's two different ball games. The, and this is what's, what's been allowed, which, which is absolutely perplexing. Um, and it's not just in America, it's the world throughout. So I think, you know, if authorities can clamp down on that and, and, and not, you know, um, regulate it to the extent that people can't just keep these animals and that it's made illegal, um, then we will have to have this phasing out period. And um, otherwise, there's going to be mass uh, euthanasia, and, and then we're going to have animal rights groups and activists up in arms. Um, so, you know, whichever way you look at it, they, they're unhappy because animals are being kept in these, you know, horrid conditions. Um, but they would also be happy if there was a, a, an issuance, you know, from government saying, listen, we need to stop this in its tracks. Because even if all these animals in America were rescued, where are they going to go? You know, I'm a, I'm a sanctuary. I've got 23 lines. And let me tell you, it's an expensive pastime keeping these animals in tip-top shape. As they get older, their, their veterinary intervention and care is so much greater. And it costs so much money. And then when I hear of facilities saying, well, we have 400 rescued lions, I'm going, well, you cannot possibly look after 400 rescued lions properly unless you've got gazillions of dollars just flowing in. And we know that this is not the case. And the other problem with these, these, these rescue facilities is that as soon as people stop donating um, and the next best thing comes along, the money dries up. They've still got this expense. So what do you do about that? And a lot of these animals then land up suffering. So, you know, as, as harsh as um, sometimes euthanizing animals is, sometimes um, it, it's arguably the more humane thing to do uh, for these animals. Otherwise, they land up living lives in cages, um, pacing up and down. And it's just so that a few people can feel happy about themselves. You know, this is a lot of the time what frustrates me about rescuing is that it's the rescue. The rescuing is not about getting an animal and making it safe. Rescuing is about starting that process and then completing it. In other words, 
you know, facilitating the, 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 the good care of that animal until the day it passes away mm-hmm. in captivity. And that can be 20 years, 25 years, you know, and who is committing for that period of time? None of these people who commit to rescuing commit to those uh, animals for that period of time. And that's why it's flawed. Well, you've really helped me understand better the whole process and, and how things can be uh, misrepresented in the public eye for people's own benefits. Obviously, the Tiger King documentary was the huge. I mean, it was literally everything that anyone was talking about. Did you watch that? Uh, unfortunately, I had the displeasure of watching it, yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> how, how did, it, was really- us, it was pure entertainment, and I think, obviously, yeah. a lot of us are able to just not understand what they're doing to the animals, therefore we're probably not feeling the way you are. How did you feel watching all of that? Well, look, I mean, it, yeah, I'm mildly amusing because these people, you actually look at this and go, I actually cannot believe people would behave like this. Mm-hmm. But then very upsetting in the, in the sense that these animals are being treated the way they are being treated. And I mean, uh, all elements of the Tiger King, I must be honest. I mean, it was every single component was just uh, jaw dropping. It was, you know, from, you know, <laughs> from every, every, um, aspect and every angle you looked at that program i mean there was just it beggared belief actually so yeah it was um all the more reason to um revisit why uh animals like uh, tigers and lions etc shouldn't be kept as pets or or in many cases in captive situations i think uh you know often as I've said many times, often the the rescue facility can be as bad as the facility that they were rescued from. Um, mm. And that, you know, just because somebody says I'm a rescue facility, it doesn't mean that they're good. Um, so we must be very careful of that. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, it's a, it's, it, it, it did open the eyes. So I think that was a good thing. But I hope, you know, 2020, we were all locked down. Everyone was sitting at home uh, with nothing better to do. So this was an entertaining program to watch. Talked about it for the next uh, three, four months, the celebrities and, you know, um, everyone was, was, was chatting about Tiger King. But, you know, two years down the line, what's been done, um, it's gone quiet. And everyone just remembers the, um, mm-hmm. the memes from the Tiger King. <laughs> what's happened to the animals? <laughs> you are spot on you that you couldn't have put it better everyone remembers the memes but what about the animals yep. you know and yeah. when when watching that um just to just to cap off the tiger king thing uh, obviously he is viewed as the bad guy he is viewed as the one with the bad facility etc etc and carol baskin is made out to be the sort of good guy and the person with the good facility but obviously I, I don't know what I'm looking at you you know what you're looking at how did you view Carol Baskin out of interest yeah look I mean it has a reputation and uh, I don't know personally I don't, don't know anyone who featured on that program personally mm-hmm. but um, you know from my perspective somebody who works hands-on with the animals the way the animals are are kept it's just not conducive to a great life if I was a lion. Trust me, knowing lions for 25 years and knowing what they um, would enjoy, enjoy not being, not living in the wild, which they're not, mm-hmm. there's so much more that you need to do to keep these animals, um, you know, uh, stimulated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not just mentally, but physically, you know. So mm-hmm. these animals need physical exercise. That's the way they were designed. They need mental stimulation. That's the way they were designed. 
they were designed to you know go after things and 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 you know catch things and mm-hmm. that, that's if you think about what they do in the in the wild so yeah i don't think any and and i'm i'm, I'm pointing a finger directly back at myself because um i've realized that rescuing uh, lions tigers etc perpetually is not the answer i've re- and that's why i say to you once the animals in my care live a decent life because of the interactions without the interactions their life is questionable. It's a, it's just a lion in a cage, you know? So the fact that they can actually get up and go out and swap enclosures and have a, a bit of a quality of life. It's I always say it's like almost like having a, a dog that lives its entire life in the courtyard. And all you do is throw it a bone every now and again, or a box or something and say, Hey, look, I gave it, uh, you know, I gave it some enrichment and some stimulation. No, that dog wants to go out and wants to go walking and, you know, and, and that's the same as my lines and my care. It gives them a um, something to look forward to in life. You know what I'm saying? Can you uh, educate us on the, it, ligers? Because I didn't really even know they existed until that documentary. I basically was shocked that they could crossbreed like that. Is that is that ethical or? Well, it's not ethical. I will say that off the bat. I mean, ligers is just a deliberate crossing of, of tigers and lions. Yeah. And uh, then you get tigons, which is depending on if you breed the male and the female or the female and the male, mm. um, it's, uh, it's going to depend on what, whether you get a liger or a tigon. But this is just the, um, this warped human mind that we want to have something bigger and better and, you know, grander than the next person. And uh, it's just this ego thing. Why you would ever consider it, I, I have no idea. And, and yet, you know, people are allowed to do it and they get away with doing it. Um, so, no, I, I don't, I'm not a, um, a fan of crossbreeding. I don't see the purpose and the point. What, what is the purpose and the point? I mean, you're not going to be releasing ligers into the wild. And so for me, it's about conservation. And it's not about species. It's about species preservation, not individual preservation. If you look at conservation as a whole, the whole idea of conservation is to see a species thrive. So, for example, conservation of lions means that we want to see lion numbers go up in the wild throughout where they occur and to repopulate areas where they once occurred. Um, so where are we going to put a liger besides in a cage um, for people's entertainment? It makes no sense. Obviously, you've had to uh, make quite a lot of sacrifices in your personal life, I would assume. How has that been? Because these animals do take up a lot of your time. Yeah, look, personal sacrifices is, is, is become a norm. So I don't see it as that anymore because mm-hmm. these, these animals are my family. So, you know, do you, when, you're, when your children are growing up, you make a lot of personal sacrifices too to make sure that they, you know, are well-educated, that, um, you know, you attend their, their sports functions, etc. Mm-hmm. They take up a lot of time. But we don't begrudge that because they are children. You know, mm-hmm. so although I've made a lot of sacrifices for, for the cats, um, I would do it over again in a heartbeat for those animals. But I wouldn't want to perpetuate it. It's like once you've had kids of your own and then somebody says your kids are now 18, do you want some more? I'm like, no, thanks. I've, 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 I've paid my dues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you. Dues. And obviously, like, uh, for people at home, we're, we're sort of thinking, I wonder if if the love of a lion is kind of like the love of a dog, or is it more human-like to you? No, it's, it's you know, I know some people who love their dogs more than humans. 
So it, it just depends on, on you as, a, mm. as an individual. But I would say like my dog that lives in our house with my family is part of the family. Yeah. You know, I have my two kids and we have a, a dog and we have uh, basically three kids. Um, <laughs> and so, so my dog is part of my family. And, and so, so too are the, the lions in the sanctuary. Uh, you know, we know them individualistically. They all got, you know, we know their names. We know, we know everything about them, everything mm-hmm. we used to know, you know, they're not just a number. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, when I talk about them, it, it, it's affectionately, Siam or it's affectionately Meg or Bobcat or whatever. And I can, every time I mention that, that name, all these images are conjured up in my mind of Bobcat or Meg or Siam or whoever, you know, the, the animal is. And so when we lose them, we are devastated. Mm-hmm. But by, at, by the same token, we are, we are pleased in the sense that, and at least this is from my perspective is that I, I was able to, um, you know, fulfill uh, my commitment to them and give them a, a, a quality of life the best I could at least um, in, in a captive situation um, so that's yeah they, they like family is, is that some sort of spiritual quest for you in terms of like what you feel like the meaning of your life is um, not really uh, Brian yeah I mean it, it, it just was it's a weird thing it's 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 like you, you commit to something and then I've always had that that kind of way about me uh-huh. Um, once maybe it takes me a little bit longer than others to get excited about something, but once I get excited about something and my passion bubbles through for something, I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler for keeping on at it. So, you know, I always say, uh, passion, uh, perseverance, and then a very important part of that comes commitment. Mm-hmm. And I find these days commitment is, is lacking, you know, and mm-hmm. perseverance people, all come to me and they say, oh, I've got the passion. I want to, you know, open a rehab, rescue, whatever facility. And I go, well, do you have the commitment? Um, because, you know, it's not always happy homes and gardens. And, uh, you know, if you're starting with a young animal, um, they grow up very quickly. And then you're stuck with this big animal. Mm-hmm. And how, how are you going to look after this animal for 20 years, 25 years? Have you thought that through? And whichever, whatever you do, um, to, to look after them, you're going to get criticized. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll, you're going to, because there's always somebody out there who, who thinks they could do it better than you um, until they're actually there trying to do it themselves. And they realize it's not a, as, a, as easy as, as it seems. As I always say to people, I, I, I'm no one special. It's just I've uh, made a commitment and I'm, I'm you know, I'll, I'll do everything in my power to honor that commitment till, till those animals have at least passed on. When you say you're no one special, I think um, you, you obviously are a special guy, but I appreciate where you're coming from in that uh, you haven't got the ego that we see on a lot of these people who want to surround themselves with these animals. Um, you, you know, you're quite low key. Uh, even to get an interview with you took me about five years. So <laughs> um, I find that hard to believe. Eh? Uh, you didn't try hard enough. I've been emailing, <laughs> but um, but yes, mate. Um, you didn't I, persevere. You, you didn't persevere. Make commitment. I've showed commitment. Yeah, yeah. You lack. You lacked. You, you actually did persevere, but you lack commitment. Come on. <laughs> Um, When it comes to animal lovers, you know, uh, I I consider myself a huge animal lover and I I, I guess I feel like um, I even gravitate more towards uh, being around animals than people a lot of the time because you know what you're getting. And um, I wondered if you were a little bit the same in regards to being 
not necessarily a people person as much. Do you find uh, animal relationships easier than human ones at this stage? Well, certainly when I was younger, I used to utter it all the time. I hate people. I love animals. You know, that's when I was younger. But then I realized when I got older that in order to save animals, we need to have people because without people buying in, um, we're not going to have animals. Mm. And then I started to soften towards people. And I realized that there's generally out there um, good people. Mm -hmm. Generally around the world, I meet good people wherever I go. And then there's like 2%, maybe 3 maybe even 5%. I don't know what the percentage is. Who cares? That are just plain and simply evil. They're horrible people. And you wouldn't want to um, spend any amount of time with them, you know, mm -hmm. at all. Um, but by and large, most people are, are good and they want to do good. They're just misguided. So, you know, I, I figured that my job is to try and um, win people and guide them and, and, and utilize my experience um, to win them over. And hopefully, you know, you, you, you touch somebody who has the means and mechanisms to help a conservation organization, you know, and that, that, that would be a wonderful thing. If somebody who watched a video of mine then committed to helping a conservation organization, and uh, that furthermore helped the species. That would be wonderful. So, yeah, from a youngster who wasn't really enamored with people to an adult who actually sees the good in people. I think that's lovely uh, that you that you've gone that way. Obviously, um, you said you've got a family um, and and kids. Uh, what is what is their situation with the animals? Do you allow them to have as much of a relationship with them as you have, or is it is there a line there? There's definitely a line uh, because my kids uh, were born after um, most of the animals were adults, mm -hmm. and uh, and and so an adult lion or or hyena or, or leopard has no wish to um, form a new relationship with another human being, um, especially a kid. Um, there's just something in these animals that is that kids trigger, uh, triggers their instincts, and they they can't help it. And so kids are not um, safe uh, around around them. So, um, and I could see the frustration whenever I brought my kids to the sanctuary to have a look. I could see the frustration in the animals' uh, faces and in their demeanor. And I, 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 you know, I said to to my wife, "Why do we want to put the kids through that? And why mm -hmm. do we want to put the animals through that? Because you're irritating the animals." And you're making kids that are going to be scared of, of lions. Mm. That's not what I want. I want my kids to grow up loving and revering lions and wanting to protect and help lions, but also understanding that captivity is not where we want to focus our attentions. You know, so I didn't want to develop, raise kids fearful of these animals and, uh -huh. and have lions that are frustrated. I want my kids to grow up. Uh, wanting to see animals in the wild, and I'm assuming that it, it, it seems like the uh, from the way you're describing it, lions or uh, animal, any of those animals, they sort of smell vulnerability. It sort of triggers their sort of hunting instincts, I would assume, and then it's so much more than that, Ryan. It's just it's not just you know the they use all their senses like we do. So immediately when there's five people, they'll always look at the smaller one. Mm -hmm. um, but they, but but then it's not only a size thing, you know, because you can have a very um, short adult, mm. but they'll immediately target the kid. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a look, 
it's a sense, a smell. It's all of the senses they they're utilizing to mm-hmm. to um, um, assess who's the weakest kind of link there. And it's not even um, you know sometimes I look at it and I go, is it a prey thing? You know, are these lions looking to you know eat people? It's not about that. Even in in some aspects, it's it's just they they triggered to go after vulnerability. It's it's not a prey thing. It's just like you know, let's just eliminate uh, kind of thing. Just, mm. It's a weird phenomenon. It's not food. They're not looking at it as, oh, there's a meal. It's not like, okay, well, you know, I need to go after the weakest, uh, the sick, the lame, the weak, like they would if they were hunting. It's just they they program to kind of uh, go after after the kids. It, yeah, um, that makes perfect sense that we've described that. And uh, when, I, when I was actually reading up on your story, uh, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up anyway. That uh, I, I seen that your father had passed when you were younger. And, yeah. I, and I, I couldn't help but wonder, like looking at the man you've become and ha- having been through something like that, uh, how that sort of shaped you and also how you think he would uh, view your life's work now. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, my father's passing was obviously um, to a youngster. It's quite a, a blow. Mm. Uh, but but in a, in a sense, it was also a a reason for why I went and did what I started doing mm-hmm. when I was young. You know, I went went off the rails a bit and needed to be brought back on them. It was almost like an excuse to rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it definitely growing up without a, a father figure, um, and I, 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 it, it's no secret. I mean, I, I said it in my book. I mean, my my dad and I it wasn't the greatest of father-son relationships. So mm-hmm. my father figure wasn't great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it did shape who I am because I think, you know, as a father, I wanted to be um, better to my my children. But um, also being like, a, you know, always one that was had to be in control over my own destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, it did, it did uh, grow me up quicker than most, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I did have to grow up quickly as a, as a youngster, which, which I don't, I don't regret. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear that, mate. I'm, uh, I lost a parent when I was younger, so I, I, I empathize with that. And, um, I seen that, um, also, um, and it, it's fine if you don't want to talk about this, but I, I, in the Wikipedia, I've seen that there was a, a, an accident that sort of happened a few years back where someone lost their life, uh, with one of your animals. Is that correct? Yeah, look, it's, it's something obviously that it's hard to talk about, um, but it is is something that happened, and uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, accidents can happen, mm-hmm. and and they do happen, and um, you know, there was no ill intention on anyone's side, and um, unfortunately, yeah, it, it, it accident happened, and we we all have to live with it, and uh-huh. yeah, how, yeah, how not, do you how do you by. cope with like because. No, Obviously, I'm sure you take so much responsibility in um, feel, like trying to protect everyone as best you can. But like you say, these animals are programmed to do what they do. Um, how, how did you cope with that mentally afterwards? Yeah, look, PTSD is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one, one has to just, uh, everyone has different coping mechanisms. And, mm. and I suppose there's no... There's no uh, silver bullet um, for uh, kind of recovery, mm-hmm. and I think uh, the the you know time is a healer, mm-hmm. and and that's 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 that you know time uh, you you've got to 
um, just respect that about about people. Uh, and life life is hard. Uh, life throws you. You think you've got your whole life sorted, and then there's there's um, curveballs that get thrown at you. You know. So yeah, uh, it's it's um, you you time time uh-huh. is what what it takes to kind of recover. And it's always and still time goes on. It's not you're never fully recovered. Yeah, I I hear that, and uh, thank you for answering that. I'm sure it's uh, not easy to mm. talk about. Um, a uh, w- couple of final questions for you, mate. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed this one. One last one is: uh, How would you like people to remember you? Um, yeah, look, I think <laughs> that's a good question. The uh, probably a legacy of somebody who um, helped lions and helped mm. animals. You know, so. You know, I wouldn't want to be remembered as, oh, he was the clown that um, rolled around with lions, you know. It would be it would be better to be remembered as somebody who actually had a positive influence or po- positive kind of effect on, on, on how people perceived lions and and um, and and positive on, on lion populations as a whole, conservation, you know. It's kind of always look at Steve Owen. I mean, we we all we all know of Steve Owen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you know what? What did he want his legacy to be? And some people to this day just still see him as the, the the lunatic who used to, you know, jump on crocodiles. But people who are like myself who understood his value and his worth understood that it was so much more than that, mm-hmm. and that he changed so many people's mindsets to how they look at crocodiles and and reptiles and snakes. You know, mm-hmm. um, snakes included, obviously, and reptiles. So that's quite a legacy. And so, if I could take a leaf out of that book, I'd be quite proud, you know. I think you've uh, you've certainly nailed that, mate. Uh, final question: If I'm ever in the area, can I come and film you uh, and spend some time there? For sure, we, you most welcome. And uh-huh. uh, I don't know when next you'll find yourself in South Africa, but uh, yeah, if you do, please do look us uh, look me up. I would absolutely love that. Like, I'd love to film and uh, some some of your work and. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm a huge animal lover, especially your animals. Uh, I think they're beautiful. And uh, I love what you do. Thanks. And I really appreciate you Thank coming you. on the podcast, mate. You're a true gentleman. And uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up again sometime, mate. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, um, all the best. All right. For everyone who wants to watch Kevin Richardson's great work, don't forget to check out the Lion Whisperer YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Hit that like button, subscribe, and we'll see you later.